Welcome to Take Notes, SMB Global Rating's structured finance podcast and the credit events of your day. Tune in as your hosts, Jim Manzi and Tom Shoplocker, explore hot topics across the structured finance and global markets. Hello and welcome to Take Notes. I'm your host, Tom Shoplocker, and today we'll be discussing covered bond harmonization in Europe. Joining me today are analysts Casper Anderson and Anna Galdo. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here today. The EU Covered Bond Directive establishes a common definition of covered bonds, defines their structural features, and clarifies the responsibilities for supervision of these financial instruments. It also tightens the conditions for granting preferential capital treatment. As of July 8th, European covered bonds must comply with the legislative package for the harmonization of EU covered bond frameworks or risk losing their preferential regulatory treatment. We've discussed this topic numerous times on prior podcasts, and the journey towards harmonization has developed substantially in recent years. To start us off then, Casper, can you give us a brief overview of the harmonization timeline starting in 2014 when the first European Banking Authority report was published? The first European Banking Authority report was followed by a consultation paper in 2015, And eventually, a commission proposal in 2018, which was later approved in 2019. Last year, the deadline for the legal transposition passed before this year's deadline for implementation on the 8th of July, 2022. So give us a sense of the key elements in the adopted legislation. It introduces two new labels for European covered bonds, European standard covered bonds and European premium covered bonds. It still allows the usage of, say, local names, but all will be tied into these two new labels. It also requires 180 days liquidity to be covered. And if extension triggers are used, there are harmonized rules for how to set such triggers up. It further deals with fixed over-collateralization minimum levels and LCV limits in line with the Capital Requirement Regulation, CRR. Now, much of the recent development in covered bond harmonization transpired during the pandemic. How did this affect the process? Well, it clearly didn't help the process, and the EU Commission actually launched infringement procedures against 22 member states due to the delay of national transposition. Work was being done up to the very end of the July 8th deadline, and for some jurisdictions, some work remains before issuers can actually issue under these new laws. I understand that all EU countries have passed the necessary primary legislation for harmonization, but some have yet to clarify relevant secondary legislation. Can you elaborate and tell us what this means for the process? Some definitions or descriptions have been saved for secondary legislation, and although they may not be a requirement for issuing, some issuers may chose to await such legislation before issuing new covered bonds. Also, developing reporting system, documentation, updates, and regulatory approvals are some of the other outstanding points potentially creating challenges for issuers. We won't have time to review the situation for each EU member state. But the case of Spain is interesting because harmonization is achieved in that country through the Royal Decree Law and its recent amendments. Anna, can you explain the Royal Decree Law and tell us how it relates to covered bond harmonization in Spain? 
Yes, Tom. There were material reasons that justify the urgency of transposing the European Directive. For example, the fact that the volume of outstanding cover bonds represents around 220 billion. That is the third ma major country in Europe in terms of the volume. Apart from that, the, the adoption of this royal decree means a significant structural change on Spanish cover bond legislation because it introduces a, a set of new features and concepts that they did not exist before. For example, the definition and segregation of the assets forming the cover pool and the existence of a special cover pool asset register. Additionally, the implementation of the cover pool monitor, it did not exist before as well. The requirement of 180 days of liquidity buffer, as Casper was referring to before, and a major one, which is the reduction in the required legal overcollateralization that goes from 25 previously to for mortgage cover bonds to now 5%, which is a big, big difference from the past. I understand the Royal Decree Law enhances transparency and regulatory oversight, which is generally a good thing. At the same time, however, it lowers overcollateralization requirements which could be a concern for investors who are used to high levels of overcollateralization in Spanish covered bonds. Can you go into the details for us? Yes, sure, Tom. As you said, on the one side, uh, transparency is enhanced as there are now quarterly reporting obligations to investors as well as to the Bank of Spain and to the cover pool monitors. So in this report, uh, they will include information related to the cover pool, the asset composition, the main features and characteristics, as well as the detail of the cover bonds outstanding, information regarding liquidity risk, interest rate risk, credit risk, and maturity structure of both assets and liabilities. So as you said, on the other hand, because the legal minimum is reduced from the previous 25% to 5% now, the OC could be reduced significantly. This, together with the fact that now there's a specific cover pool made of, of selected loans compared to the past, where it, the whole mortgage book of the bank was the available credit enhancement for the cover bonds, will reduce the available OC. However, it is true as well that because this a specific pool of assets will be selected assets that will have to comply with the regulation, with the royal decree and with the directive. We believe that the credit quality will enhance as well the credit quality of this cover pool compared to the credit quality of the past total mortgage book. Even if the OC levels will reduce, first of all, the issuers can maintain whatever voluntary OC levels they deem necessary. That means that the legal minimum is only a reference, is the minimum you need to have, but you can maintain whatever voluntary level of OC you would like, together with the fact that the credit quality of the assets will be better than in the past. That will not necessarily be negative for investors. In terms of rating, for us, the most important thing is that as long as the available OC in each program is 
above the required OC level to maintain the current rating of the programs, we will not expect any rating impact on the cover bond programs we rate. Now turning back to the broader EU, what's next to come in the covered bond harmonization journey? So we believe this was the first milestone achieved on the journey towards further harmonization. The European authorities still need to consider equivalent treatment of covered bonds issued by non-EEA credit institutions outside the scope of the directive and regulation. Further, the Commission will assess the case for introducing European secured notes a dual recourse instrument backed by assets such as small to medium-sized enterprise loans. We believe this represents the first step in a further journey towards more harmonization. I'd like to thank our guest analysts, Casper Anderson and Anna Galdo. Their new papers, European Covered Bonds Reach Harmonization Milestone as the Journey Continues, and Spanish Covered Bonds, Harmonization Achieved Through Royal Decree Law, are available on our website, www.spglobal.com forward slash ratings. We'll catch you next time on Take Notes. To subscribe to Take Notes or to view our analyst research, go to spglobal.com forward slash ratings. Thank you for listening to Take Notes with Jim Manzi and Tom Schopflocker.